This is exactly right. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello and welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger. We're here to talk about SVU crimes. We interview celebrities. It's really a jam-packed, incredible podcast. (laughs) And you guys are incredible listeners. We've been having an amazing time seeing you guys all on tour. We were in Denver and met so many fun people. Thank you to the listener who gave Rosie... The little Dracula, what's it called, Lisa? Marshmallow? A squashmallow. A squashmallow. She was immediately in love with it. It has joined the ranks of Pizza Dog and Cookie Mouse and her favorite, like, four stuffies that she keeps right in bed with her. So, like, she loves it so much. And she calls it Drac, and it's cute. Yeah. Great gifts. Listen, are we going to start every top of the episode thinking, <laughs> thinking all our gifts? No, it's... um. It was incredible. Like homemade stuff, sweatshirts, drawings, glitter. Like you really listen to us. It's really wild. And you might be creating monsters with all this (laughs) attention and love that you're giving us so much support. Because it is fearful, like performing. Like what if after they meet us, they're like, well, fuck those bitches. You never know. Yeah. Still nice. So that's good. We did not turn (laughs) anyone off with our personalities. Um, I do have something to say. I feel like one of you recognized me at SoulCycle or there was just a wild woman in there, but I kept, (laughs) you kept smiling at me. Um, and it was my hundredth ride, but I've been injured and I just, um, I don't know if you watched me sit, but I sprained my ankle and fell on both of my knees. And even though it was my hundredth ride, I couldn't ride to my full potential. And if you are listening and you were in that class, I just would like you to know. <laughs> it's been killing me because I had the such fantasies of my hundredth ride and then I had shooting pains and it was humiliating because Diego kept going like, it's her hundredth ride. And I was like, don't look at me. Um, so if you were smiling and at Phil's coffee, I saw you girl being, you know, smiley. (laughs) And if it's not, I don't know what's happening. (laughs) I need to get over it. Um, uh, Also, I feel like a lot of people were really happy that we addressed the carrot umbrella. A lot of people did not understand what you were talking about. And I was happy that we were able to, you know, pull it all together, give everybody a visual. If you still don't remember, if you remember, Lisa talked about the carrot umbrella last episode. It is in our highlight on Instagram called mention it all. If you'd like to see what that really was. (laughs) Thank you so much for doing that. Um, Oh, also, we do have to give a shout out to the people that came to Denver from South Dakota. Oh my God. From Boise, Idaho. Idaho. Like people drove from so far. Not to insult anyone else from that show that was like fun and smoked and hung out and did some shots, but we did have a VIP guest. And it was Lou Diamond Phillips' niece. So she was at the show. Yes. So, um, you know, Lou did say hi to us. Did she say that he said she loved those girls or did I make that up? Um, We might be adding that, but I'm happy to live with that in my head. I don't think that hurts anyone for me to believe that forever. Um, I also, yeah, we, I do have a lot of lists, but I have to talk and Annalise hasn't heard this yet. So I'm really excited. 
So I went to my sister's school in Chicago mm-hmm. and I talked to the fourth grade class um, about podcasting. My sister's the technology teacher and she was doing a podcasting unit and they were going to do a three minute episode because I was talking. She goes, these are three minutes. Relax. Um, but <laughs> it's about their book Hatchet. And it was so fucking cute. They asked such sweet questions. They're so nice. Like the future is bright and bold. <laughs> but um, they someone asked, why is, it, why is your show called That's Messed Up? Because my sister put some photos on the projector. And I said, well, you guys know Ice tea from the Cheerios box, right? And all the kids were like, Coach Ice! <laughs> and they all know him from Cheerios. They all were excited about Coach Ice. It was so fucking cute. And then, um, you know, I really instilled in them the amount of teamwork that goes into making a show. I'm like, you know, we have someone that books. We have someone that plans the stuff. We have a sound engineer. I go, I don't hear when a car is zooming by, but they do. And then they can take it out. And this little kid goes, oh my God, you could take the no- one noise out and keep the rest of the, pe- the noises in? <laughs> And I was like, yes, you can. And his mind was blown. And maybe he's going to be a sound engineer one day because he couldn't believe you could take the car noise out and leave us talking in. But you can. I hope that you're like part of the origin story of some future like hit podcasters, too. They're like, I just remember when this girl came in to talk to me about iced tea. Um, and then one little kid was like, do you know the Smartless people? I go, okay, hip girl. <laughs> Fourth grade listening to Smartless? No, I don't know them. Like what? <laughs> but they were just so cute. I don't know. The kids were cute. And I met a bearded dragon lizard. Oh, wait. So is the bearded that. dragon like their class pet? Well, that's the kindergarten class pet. But the teacher for kindergarten, I went to high school with her. Oh, wow. We were the same year. So um, it was really cute. But I did meet Beardy in the city. I have been a longtime Instagram follower and finally got that little guy onto my arm. So. Oh, I love that. Beardy in the city. I, that was very cute. Your like face is fully lit up like you were <laughs> meeting so a pumped. celeb. Um, I was really excited. I loved that. Yeah, it was a cute day in the neighborhood of, uh, you know, the Jewish day school. So thrilled to be there. I had a couple cute days in the neighborhood last weekend when I decided to throw my daughter two freaking birthday parties and I wanted to die. Um, I don't know why you did that. Well, it just was one big, huge one would have been really, really a lot. It was actually pretty, like the second one was easier because I had done the first one. But um, it was cute. Lisa got Rosie some of her favorite gifts of all time. She got her... Like, literally just stuff that Lisa had in her storage space, right? Just, well, I went and then I hit the street, you know? I hit yeah. up York. A bunch of stuff hit. is new. No, a bunch of stuff is new that she loves, like stamps, But the, the, the stuff she liked the most was from the garage, yes. as always. They yes. want the trash. They really yeah. don't. Well, because I got her a shark and that shark is from a cocktail I got in New Orleans five years ago (laughs) and kept, so. It's very large. Like, I'm surprised this place in New Orleans was just dipping one of these. It's, like, huge. (laughs) Um, But she got it from Lisa and was like, a shark, ah! And, like, it was so cute. No, the kids were cute. I mean, I didn't see any full interpersonal politics go down, but the kids really got along. Like, it was cute to watch. I entered and there was a roly-poly funeral happening. Oh, yeah. That's what I walked in on. Yeah, the little, the girls that are a little older than Rosie are very, into the roly-poly hunting. They made a they made a roly-poly like center. Like it was a lot happening. And Ro- Rosie hates roly-poly. So that was fun for her. <laughs> she was like, they're playing with them, freaking out. I was like, will you stop it? Like she was killing me. 
It's just cute. All these kids have friends. It's nice. Yeah. And it's really cute to see, I think, how like little girls that are like six or five will just like become birthday party friends. Like they don't know each other. They may not see each other ever again, but they're like best friends for a two-hour birthday party, you know? Well, maybe they'll see each other at the next birthday party. Yeah, for sure. But like just that day, lightning in a bottle, you know? But... It was fun, and Lisa is an expert at giving children gifts, and that's uh, something I've, um, you know, I've already known it, but it was re-solidified over the weekend. And somebody did give her a whoopee cushion, too, so that was fun. Oh, yeah, that was really <laughs> cute. Um, she hasn't been playing with it much since, but the moment she got it was exciting. Um, we will still be going out on tour for more dates, guys. If you're in Tempe, if you're in Irvine, if you're in San Francisco, get those tickets and come to our shows. That's all of that information is at that's messed up podlive.com. Um, I, cause uh, my, uh, babysitter who I love and listens to the podcast was like, I didn't even know you were doing an LA show. And I was like, oh my God, we're talking about it on the podcast, but I think people are missing it. So we are on tour. Well, Annalise, do you want to say anything about being pressed against the gate at Dua Lipa? <laughs> Is that something um, you'd like to share with our listeners? I mean, it was great. <laughs> You're a number one fan. You're like a teen message board fan that you showed up at noon for a concert. That started at eight o'clock and yes. you were in the front. That is something that I did, yes. I, it's cool. You're passionate about an artist. I can't think of who I would do that for, but it's very cool. It was a very good time, but you know what? I'm a homosexual and we do things like this sometimes. <laughs> Did you cry when she pulled out the gay flag? Um, no, but it was really funny because she usually grabs one for these shows. And that show, this little girl had a lesbian pride flag, but she had no idea what it was. And she just like looked at it and was like, like whispered to her, her dancer was like, what, the, what is this? And he was like, oh, it's like, it's a lesbian pride flag. And she just had this look on her face like, oh, great, here goes Twitter. <laughs> and it was just, my friends and I were just cracking up. Like, we, she has no idea what this is. <laughs> I guess I, I think I knew that Dua Lipa was like a gay icon. I guess I didn't know how big she was with the lesbians. And that's really a huge market. I mean, well, she's hot. Yeah. <laughs> No, but there's a million hot pop stars. She seems like she's specifically like, you guys are really uh, going I, for I her. I think we appreciate that she's a little awkward. Like, she's uh -huh. like, you know what I mean? Like, I would do the awkward little hip dance that she does. And I appreciate <laughs> that. It seems very, she seems very down to earth. Oh, I like that. I think that's, uh, well, yeah. I we like stand that. a down to earth queen. So. <laughs> do a... Oh, wait. I will never stop watching... Detective Olivia Benson, a.k.a. Mariska Hargitay, drink out of a Grammy. Yes, thank you thank to you everybody. Thank you for sending it. And holy shit, like that's going to be um, like the, the video of the guy putting together the SVU theme song with all his instruments. I'll watch that every time. And I think uh, Mariska drinking out of the Grammy has joined the ranks of that video. I will watch it every time I see it. I love yeah. it. Yeah, it's real. She looks so gorgeous in it. <sighs> And they're just having the time of their lives. And somebody messaged us that like David Diggs and his family spent their first Thanksgiving in the city with her and her family for something. So I think they have like a long history, the two of them. Broadway. Yeah. All right, let's get this going. We got a, a barn burner. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm trying to think of different ways to open because everyone I always go, all right, we're doing this. <laughs> I'm trying to think of new ways to open up. 
Okay. Okie so, dokie. Yeah. Okie dokie, <laughs> friends. Um, today, we are doing Friending Emily, season 14, episode six. I remember this episode watching it live and it was, made me feel bad. <laughs> but I'm excited to talk about it today. It aired, Lisa. On Halloween, baby, 2012, <laughs> October 31st. Which I must have had happy. DVR because I can't imagine myself staying home on Halloween to watch SVU, but I did watch this when it was on originally. This I remember watching this episode. Maybe everyone originally. at the Halloween party wanted to watch or you went out <laughs> later. Like this, what, aired at 8, 9 p.m.? Like what if you went to a party at 10? I would love to look on my Facebook or my Instagram and see what I was doing on Halloween of twenty. Maybe you were getting into your costume while watching it. <laughs> You That's never know. True. That's true. Oh, wait. No, no, no. That was the Halloween before. I know exactly what I was doing the Halloween. What? Um, well, I was broken up with my now husband and I hooked up with a comedian from Australia and I was Ooh. dressed as a toddler in tiara. <laughs> That's amazing. I hooked up on Halloween with a stranger once and I was dressed as Milhouse's mom from <laughs> The Simpsons. <laughs> And I had like my blue eyebrows on. Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. Um, Okay. So we open this episode on Rollins at work. This is a Rollins heavy episode. She's getting a phone call that she's ignoring. But then suddenly a blonde woman walks into the precinct on a phone like, and it's clearly the person calling her and Rollins goes, crap. And then runs up to the girl and tells her, this is my work. You cannot be here. And she tells Finn and Liv, she needs an hour to go deal with some shit. And they're like, what's going on? Is that a victim? And she's like reveals what we all know, that this is her sister, Kim. It's family. It's complicated. And who gets that better than Olivia Benson and Finn? Both of their families have been heavily implicated in many, many episodes of the show. So we cut to two girls, high school age. One is on the phone telling her parents how great New York is. And the other one is like, one more museum and is going to kill myself. Like, so one is sassy and one is a goody-goody. The sassy one is named Taylor. She has her school shirt on like that all the other kids are wearing, but the neck is cut out. So it's very off the shoulder flash dance looks. You can tell she's a bad girl because she's showing shoulder. And um, we see another like young woman, older than them, but a youngish woman, 20s, watching these two girls and kind of listening to their convo. And then she starts interjecting and sort of talking to them. And she's like, well, there's definitely better places to party than like the intrepid, you know, I have never been to the Intrepid, thank goodness. I cannot, I I just, I can't imagine going to like military museums or Navy boats. Yeah. I just, I don't want that. I never, I I went with a kid I was babysitting once and I would do anything with a kid I was babysitting to get out of the house and have someone else pay for it. So I was fine to go. But like, yes, I would never like take a friend visiting from out of town and be like, we have to do this. Um, But we're also not very military people. No. So she starts telling them like, oh yeah, like there's better places to party here. Here, let me get your phone and I'll give you an an evite to this frat party at Tompkins Square U, uh, which is a rival of Hudson U, obviously. And she says, tell them Wendy invited you. So it turns out these two girls are sisters. The younger, more goody-goody one is named Emily. So it's Emily and Taylor. And then a teacher is like, all right, kids, and starts gathering them all up, okay? So they're on a big field trip from God knows what little tiny town that they're from because New York seems very big and exciting to them. And then we cut to the frat party 
keg stands are happening. We see solo cups, smoking, a lot of wooing, people talking directly to the camera, having a great time, the whole experience. And the two girls, um, the two sisters are there and they're kind of like dressed up to look older. Taylor's having a full blast, just like flirting and living her best life. And Emily is in the kitchen looking really nervous and like trying to reject jello shots from a guy named Chaz. And yes, I do know a guy in real life named Chaz. Um, what can I tell you? It's just, I'm from the Northeast. Is that short for something though? I think Charles. I think Char- Char- it's a nickname for Charles and Annalise is nodding. So I'm taking that as fact. Um, but yeah, it's a it's kind of a wild nickname. Or I think of the actor Chaz Parliamentary, who seems like very Italian. Or wait. I think of Chaz Bono, but he got to choose his name, you know? So I don't know if it's short for anything. Yeah. Well, because when he was on, I mean, he's been on Drag Race a few times, but when he was on with his mom, with his grandmother, and someone kept calling him Chad over and over again with a D, (laughs) and uh, it was really, really funny. I love that episode. So this guy named Peter comes over to little Emily and is like, Chaz, scram, get out of here. And we really quickly find out that Emily is 14. And he, you know, he, this guy, Peter is like, yeah, I graduated from this school and I was in this frat and now I'm just kind of everyone's big brother and I hang out here. And I'm like, well, that's a huge red flag. Like you do not hang out at a frat after you've graduated. That's weird. Um, I've seen guys that do that before. I want to let you all know I'm not okay with it. And he tells her, oh yeah, Wendy's my sister. So like you met my sister and I'm good, I'm safe. Pretty soon, Emily is like chilling, eating pizza, drinking soda and talking about sports like with Peter and Wendy comes up and they're all laughing and joking and talking about the Carolina Tar Heels and all this shit. And now I'm just honestly putting the Peter Pan naming together that their names are Peter and Wendy. Like this is the point where I'm like, oh wow, their names are Peter and Wendy. Weird. Yeah. So meanwhile, Taylor, the older sister, is sandwiched between two dudes on a couch and is like hooking up with both of them. So she's having a time. And And Taylor is a slut name. (laughs) Don't come for us, Swifties. Oh, I didn't even think about her. (laughs) But like Taylor is like a bad girl name, I feel, especially like on television. If someone's named Taylor, they're not a good girl. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I actually, my cousin Sebastian had a best friend named Taylor growing up and they always got into so much trouble together. They're still best friends. Like I see her when I'm in New York and they, I always was like, Taylor's kind of a bad girl because she kind of was and still is. Um, but next thing we see is Emily upstairs at this frat house, like knocking on a bunch of doors, being like, Taylor, Taylor. She's like kind of frantic. And then she's going down the stairs and she sees Wendy and she's like, have you seen Taylor? And Wendy's like, chill, I'm sure she's fine. Cut to the next thing we see, which is cell phone footage of bare legs walking on pavement and a man's voice saying, I'll get you home safe as he loads her into the trunk of a car. And we see, we don't see a face, but we do see Peter's plaid shirt as he's closing the trunk. So we kind of know immediately Peter's a bad guy, which could was the vibe immediately when he said, I graduated and I still hang out at this frat house. That's the credits. At the top of Act 1, Liv is looking at a text from Taylor that's her topless with a dude, and it says, I really heart New York, which I think is kind of funny. She's like having fun and is like, wow, New York's the best. Um, So Taylor, it turns out, texted that to a friend and it's high school. So everyone has obviously sent it to everyone and everyone has this text. And the teacher's like, I called SVU as soon as I saw it. She does not recognize the boy in the picture because she's like, that's not a boy, that's a full-grown man. And Taylor is, uh, she tells them, Taylor's kind of a wild child, but Emily brought a stuffed animal with her. Like, it's definitely not like her to be out all night, not coming back to the hotel. So... 
which I don't know what Taylor thought she was doing, like not coming back to the hotel. You definitely have to go back and check in with your field trip or you're going to get busted. Um, But we see Rollins getting the news on her phone about what's going on with this case and hustling to get out the door, like grabbing her badge. And her sister's lying on the couch and she sees like a huge bruise on her sister Kim's like side thigh. And Amanda is alarmed and is like, did Jeff do that? And her sister's like, no, Jeff is over. He says he loves me, but it's just not working out. And I can't go back to Atlanta because you know how mom is. She'll just like, I just needed to get out of there just like you did, right? So that's the vibe of what she's running away from to come to see Amanda in New York. Amanda gets another work call and tells her sister like, look, I got to bounce. There's food in the fridge. Here are your keys, et cetera. And Kim's like, before she leaves, Kim goes, Amanda, I'm done with the drama. I just want to hang out like sisters. And Amanda's like, I agree. Me too. Love you, sis. And it's all just like a little bit too good to be true. You just know that the sister's not going to have a calm day at home. So in the next scene, Rollins and Finn are rolling up to the frat. And Finn is like, the older sister should be looking out for the younger one. And then he kind of apologizes because he realizes that he like brought up sister shit and he shouldn't be talking about that. One time I was at my house with with Allison Libby and my sister and we were getting wasted and my sister and I started having like a little fight by the front door and my and Allison Libby goes, what's going on over there? Sister shit? And we just like say it all the time because it really makes me laugh. And I'm imagining um, our friend Allison at a level of drunk that I'm picturing in and yes. her saying that is very perfect. <laughs> yes, but she also doesn't have siblings. So she's kind of yes. like, what is this? Sister shit? Like, you know, like, can you guys calm it down? Like I and- picture it and I love it <laughs> and she's great. And if anyone is interested in a horror movie podcast, she has one called Ruined and we do have a few listeners that listen to both. And it's a podcast where our one of our friends explains horror movies to another friend who doesn't watch it. So I think that's kind of fun and, and it's Allison- relevant has such a good gig in that because Hallie has to watch the movies, take the notes, tell Allison, and she just gets to sit there going, oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, ooh, I would never watch that. Yeah. yeah. So that's essentially the podcast if you're interested in horror and you want something new. It's called Ruined. And they have one on the movie Ma, which if you guys listen to Bananas on Exactly Right, Scotty Landis wrote that movie. Yes. So if you want to connect everything all together and have like a trifecta big moment, you can listen all to that. All tied in. Yeah, start with the Ma episode and see if you like it. So Rollins is like talking to Finn about her sister a little bit and being like, yeah, Hurricane Kim. And like, she's like, she claims she's on her meds, but who knows? So, and Finn is like reveals, oh, my brother won't let my son come over for Thanksgiving. And Rollins is like, because he's gay. And I'm like, I don't even think I realized Finn had a brother. I don't think he's ever been on an episode. We've seen his ex-wife and his ex-wife's family like ludicrous and stuff, but we've never... I don't know. I've never realized Finn had a brother who was a home who was homophobic. That seems like something they should explore. But um, well, because he's homophobic enough, <laughs> they don't need yeah. a two homophobic brothers. Well, that's this its is own a, show. This is a 2012. Is he over it by now? I can't remember this episode. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember when he turned the corner. Finn. It was a slow process. Yeah. It, you know, like, he's like, I accept this, but do you have to be so public about it? You know, that's yeah, yeah, started, yeah. And then slowly. It right. <laughs> right. So the, all this family talk with Rollins and Finn, you know, it's adding to this relationship about them that we like, but it's while they're walking up the stairs. So now they're in the frat and they're talking to some frat dude telling him he needs to like ID all the people in the video. And he's like, this party was all over Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook. I don't know any of the names of people who were there, you know? And um, she flashes the picture from the text of Taylor and the guy. And he goes, oh yeah, that's my buddy Merck. 
And then um, they get a call from Daddy Craigs that says, hey, guess what? Taylor's phone is 100 feet from where you are. So they head upstairs and start knocking on doors. And Merck answers the door in his boxers. Emily's in bed with the sheets pulled up saying she didn't do anything. And the dude goes, I've got a script for whatever you find, which is, he's just fully playing himself, this man. Like, doesn't even think about the fact that he's in bed with a teen. Yeah, well, and Merck just reminds me of the cheddar. Merck's, ch- I want, I want like I've never had that. Do you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Merck Pharmaceuticals because when never I was in heard college, when I was in college, a guy was dating the heiress to Merck Pharmaceuticals and I remember thinking, wow, that's rich. Yeah. That is so rich. Um, So... This guy's like, I'm 21. And Rollin goes, 15 will get you 10, genius. And he goes, oh shit, I didn't know she was 15. Like, and you're under arrest for statutory rape and stupidity, frat boy. That's what Finn says to him, which I like. And then Rollins tells Taylor that Emily's missing. She checks her phone and sees the video of the bare legs that we saw. So basically that video we saw was a text uh, a text video that she was taking on her phone and then she sent it to her sister and then her phone died. So at the precinct, they realized that Taylor's phone had malware installed on it and it has all the info you would need to form a bond with a target. Like family pet, your interests, pictures of you and your friends, like where, like locations, et cetera. So Liv is like, well, if he's using her for kitty porn, we should run her face through. She keeps saying it, Nick, 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 Dick. I can't understand what she's saying. And I, I looked it up and nothing popped. So it's some facial recognition software. And they realize um, that this is like a pro. The person who did this is professional and like came to get a child. And it's not like a college party with like a scenario that a college party's gone wrong. So... In interrogation, they're talking to Merck and he's like, how am I supposed to know? As long as there's grass on the infield, you play ball, which is a pubic hair reference that, you know, you don't always get those in us for you. And I don't pretty- know, because you can also get your pubic hair at like 12. Like, what are you saying? Yeah, It's like the yeah. most psychotic pedophile shit I've ever heard. Yeah, it's really The fact gross. that that's like a saying that people could just say out and about at a bar and not be fully humiliated and shunned from their society is really confusing. Yeah. It's also like, if you just talk to a teen for five minutes, you can figure out how old they are. Like, when I was 17, I went to Cancun and tried to pretend I was in college. And I they kept asking me, like, where do you go to school? And I go, UConn. And they were like, cool. My friend goes there and their break was last week. And I was like, yeah, I'm just like taking some extra time. Like, you cannot even make up lies fast enough when you're a teen. Like, I was, like, and then I would change colleges. Like, it was so, you just, you can figure well, it out. no, because it's not true. Guys that's, guys that are that in this, are in this thing aren't like, oh, no, I didn't know. It's, oh, they're a teen. I'm going to go fuck them. And yeah. then they play the game. It's never, right. I don't think men are ever actually confused if someone's a teen or not. Right. Right. They know. Like, she brought up varsity volleyball, but I thought she was talking about college. Yeah, they're just like, Even, we've talked about this, but even if I do college gigs or I went dancing at Zebulon, like these, even people that are 25 look like children to me. Yeah. It is, they look really young. I was dancing and I was like, I'm the oldest person at this fucking bar. Yeah, I, yeah. I truly have no ability anymore. When I see somebody really young, I'm like, are you in high school or college or middle school? Like, I really don't know. Like, but I don't give that as an excuse. I feel like guys can figure it out. They're literally just trying to fuck teens. But um, they're like talking to the guy and they're like, well, did you see Emily at the party? And Merck's like, yes, yeah, she was with Peter. He was Tau Omega, which is the frat. He was Tau Omega out West. He shows up with supplies and they're like, oh, is that drugs and booze? And his sister, Wendy. So nobody really questions that this guy shows up at this party 
And he apparently went to this frat a long time ago with his sister and Wendy. They just show up with all this party shit and they just let them party. So Taylor explains to Liv and Rollins how they met Wendy. And they explain how what Wendy put the spyware on the phone. And she describes Wendy and is just kind of like, yeah, she's like got brown hair. She has great hair, the actress that yes, plays Wendy. Yes, Her yes, hair yes, is yes, gorgeous. Yes, yes, yes. I've noticed it the whole time. And she had a cool nose piercing. I mean, she looks like a cool gal. Yeah, a cool New York girl that's like supposed to lure kids into cool New York parties. That's literally what she's dressed the part. So they, she says she has a leather wristband with a metal thing on it. And then they get a hit from Facial Recognition Database on a site called Lolitaville, where they find a live stream of Emily in bed wearing lingerie. She's just waking up. She looks panicked. And we hear her, we hear a voice being like, morning sexy. And she's looking at the camera like, oh my God, help me. What the fuck? Get out of here. Like this actress is very good because I remember watching this the first time and being like, oh God, this episode's making me feel sick. Like, because she's just being live stream captured the whole time. And Cragen is like, are we tracing this? And Rollins goes, I'm hitting brick walls. And I'm like, there's your first mistake. Why are you sending a Rollins to do a Taru's job? Like, since when does Rollins have any experience like breaking down firewalls and like getting to like tracing a, a, like a technological shit? Like it should she be- She can flirt. She can flirt with the computer. Yeah. Get her, she get her, flirt flirting. her way through. A, she's not going to flirt her way through a firewall, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> so Peter is um, showing My Emily- My favorite of her flirts, do you remember when she was like, like telling the guy at the coffee shop, be like, taste that or the smoothie, like taste it. It doesn't taste good. And I'm like, for that's such good flirting abilities to make an employee start sipping on the drink that they made. I'm like, you're a superstar flirt. <laughs> it is, you know, they all have their own little list of special skills on their resume and hers is definitely flirting. And Munch is um, going into any bar going, should we buy this? Okay, sorry. <laughs> that was very inside, but it was fun, I think. Um, so Peter is showing Emily the clothes she's going to put on after her bath. And it's just very creepy. Like, well, because he's not acknowledging it. What pisses me off is like not acknowledging what she's like. He's just like, hey, what's up, baby girl? This is all normal. And we're about to, it's like, can you at least like talk to her? Like, you know, something's up. Like, listen, I did kidnap you, but this is where we're at. Like, just something. It's really gross. It's like when someone's mad and they're like, I'm not mad what? I'm not acting weird. And it's like, can you just acknowledge something is happening? Like, can you acknowledge she's kidnapped in a home and it's not just like fun times? Yeah. I don't know. So they notice that Peter's got the same leather cuff with like the metal thing on it and and they take a screenshot of it and Liv shows it to Taylor and she's like, yep, that's the same one Wendy has. So these two have like matching cuffs and she tells Taylor, well, like the good news is Emily's alive, but the bad news is we have no idea where she is. And Taylor's like, well, then how do you know? And the sister then kind of realizes like, oh God, this is very twisted. Like that, you know, she's alive, but you Can don't you imagine having to live with that. Yeah, that you went to, a, took your sister to a frat party and ditched her and she got like, Human trafficked? Into, yeah, human trafficked. <laughs> yeah, terrible. So at the top of Act 2, Rollins is explaining the video is using Onion Protocol, blah, 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 tech talk, and that it's untraceable. And she says, finding Emily is hopeless, which is like another reason why I don't think she's Taru, because I feel like Taru always is like, I could try one more thing. They would never say it's totally hopeless. And then just as Emily's parents roll in, of course they heard Rollins saying that 
it's hopeless and they're they're panicking and they're like, my daughter, Emily, it's hopeless. And they're freaking out. And they reunite with Taylor. But like two seconds into the reunion, the dad starts blaming the mom. Like, you never should have let her come to New York. And Olivia like takes the mom aside because the dad seems like he's got a very short fuse. Well, it's also a school trip. It's not like they went to New York alone together to meet up with some cousin. Right. It was a school's trip. But it's like, they do this on SBU constantly. People from outside of New York think New York is like the bowels of hell. Yeah. And that letting your kids go there is just going to turn them immediately into a sex worker and like a drug addict. You know, that's just kind Kind of, it's a trope on the show for sure. And they're still doing it on season 14. <laughs> so um, she, he said, the mom is like talking about how the dad yells when he drinks, but Emily really loves him. And he fights with Taylor a lot because she's like the wild one. And that Emily is perfect and always does what she's told, which is creepy, but you kind of see the reason why she's the one that got taken. Um, Rollins and Finn are at the FBI child pornography media room, is what the card says. And obviously, <laughs> it's a workplace of horrors. There's a million pictures of kids, a ton of missing child posters, and like a sad man who's dead behind the eyes and like takeout but containers. This sa- okay, but this sad man is manifest, but also... Okay. He's been in other SVUs. Like, he's a cool guy. Oh, okay. I didn't look him up, actually. And, Should I but do yeah, he does look sad. And this is a job that is real. Yeah. That, so he's like, like there looking very sad and dead. And he's like, the dark web is a black hole. Like, there's really not much to go on. And he's like, this job is whack-a-mole. Like, we knock down a site, another one pops up. And he's like, it's a long shot, but they just arrested a hacker who took down some dark web quote-unquote, like, kitty porn sites. And his name is Job, and he's at Rikers right now about to get transferred upstate. So, you know, maybe you guys could go to him. So then Rollins gets a call from Kim, and she, she goes, stay right there. And she tells Finn she might have to bounce for a second. Rollins gets home to her apartment. Kim is at the kitchen table just casually <laughs> blowing rails with some dude. Like, I have no idea why, if you know your sister's coming home, you wouldn't hide that. But she's just, like, having an appetizer of cocaine. And she's like, Amanda, you came home. And it's like, yes, dumbass, you called her to come home. She flashes a badge, and the guy who's doing the coke with her takes off. Amanda takes the drugs, washes them down the drain, and Kim goes, there's 200 bucks down the drain. I don't know where she got 200 bucks. It doesn't sound like she has a nickel. And Rollins is like, I'm a detective. Don't fucking bring drugs into my house, you dumb bitch. And she's like, oh, okay, drugs are bad, but gambling is okay. Because we all know, if you don't know, some people don't watch the show, actually. Rollins does have a noted gambling problem. And Rollins says, actually, I'm off of that shit. Maybe you should come to a meeting with me sometimes. And she says, I don't think so. But what I do want to do is follow you around and learn your job. You know, I wanted to be a cop first and you took that from me. I don't really see Kim uh, in blue where we're walking the beat, but okay. I see her in an orange jumpsuit. Fuck yeah. this bitch. <laughs> but she's just like a manipulative, narcissist, bad person. And it yeah. sucks that Rollins is such a good sister and keeps trying with this person who will never, ever not only think about herself. Yeah. And Rollins doesn't even fight back on that whole cop dig. She no, because she feels bad. I'm sure yeah, she feels bad. Like, it's like the thing to manipulate her. She's like, okay, sure. You want to have some pizza? Let's order pizza. Okay. So now, next scene, we're talking to Job, this computer hacker, who's helping them lure Peter somehow into, uh, I, I don't know, giving up his IP address. I don't really know. <laughs> um, they get onto the site and we see Emily is out of the bath and the creepy guy, Peter, is like brushing her hair and telling her that all her fans want to see her in action. It's like very creepy. A lot of this is just like getting her ready to go on camera or to get to 
whatever. I don't know. Well, because that's the thing with all these pedophile creeps. Are they just in for the child? They like a scared child. That's Is that part of it? Or all the know, children because- are scared and it's like you do what you do? Or they like the fear of it? I don't know. For like a, most of the, what I've heard is that true pedophiles like believe that they are loving children. So, but I think that there are probably sick people that are into seeing anyone get hurt, like watching any, like a woman get hurt or get, or a child get hurt. So I don't know, you know, but that's a great question. Like, yeah, some people would probably say, oh, this isn't for me. Like, I don't want to see a kid like wincing while this is going on, but. But what I kid also, wouldn't be wincing? But what kid wouldn't be, right? I guess sometimes kids are more drugged. But I don't know. I don't know. Like they're more like out of it. And this kid, this girl just looks like straight up very scared. And it's it's it is disturbing. Um, so now Liv is talking to Barba, laying it all out for him. And she's like, the uploads on this site go back five years. He gets a different girl every year, and Emily makes six. So this guy takes a girl and keeps her for a really long time and like builds up a presence for her, I guess, on the dark web doing these live streams. And so this is his sixth girl. And Barbara, oh my God, I just did it. First time. Yes! I just said Barbara. Oh my God. Oh my God. Here I am. Barba wants to issue warrants for the other five girls and saying, um, and he's like, they're probably all sex workers and druggies. And uh, Rollins says like, why do we need warrants? They're all victims. And Barba's like, you'll think of something. We got to get Emily fast. It's too late for these other girls. So they just are trying to figure out a way to talk to these other women who have been on the live stream, who somehow he let go, um, which we've seen before. I mean, we did control where the guy let let um, his victims go. So at a strip club now, they're outside of a strip club and they're talking to a girl named Misty. She is very sassy and sure of herself. And she's like, are you guys fans? And Rollins is like, no, actually. Um, and Finn goes, well, we're not here as fans. Like, like <laughs> love we it. could be fans. <laughs> and um, Well, because they make jokes like Finn loves a strip club. Yeah. Yeah, Finn loves Finn's like, I'm sure I would love your work, but that's not why I'm here in this official <laughs> capacity. And she's like, she says, I was taken care of, not by Peter, by Wendy. She had it worse. She ran away. Peter saved her from the street. And Misty's like, you'll never catch him. That's what we find out from Misty, essentially. And then next, they talk to the father of this victim who did not believe his daughter. Um, and he said that, she was straightening her life out when she ran into Wendy and it made her start using again and she OD'd three months ago. And it's sad because they're bas- they're telling the dad, like, this actually did happen to her. And he's like, wait. So she was telling the truth? Like, he didn't believe her. He thought she was just fucked up on drugs and, like, was, you know, <sighs> imagining that she was kept captive and forced to live stream horrible shit. So now uh, they're at a third victim. They are at a photo shoot and they want to talk to Katrine, but she has a gay husband who will not stop interrupting. (laughs) And he says, he keeps being like, we have a photo shoot to get to. I handle everything for Katrine. I'm also her lawyer. I'm her manager, blah, blah, blah. And um, she said Peter gave her to a guy and that's when uh, her husband saved her. And then right before the cops leave, she's like, wait, um, I do child's portraits if you guys ever need anything. And she writes something down on a piece of paper and gives it to Rollins. And uh, when Rollins looks at it, it says, Wendy Marquette, Michigan. So that's Wendy's, that's what we're supposed to be looking into. So they find out that Wendy's real name is Jane Calrice and they age progress her photo and Taylor IDs her. And they do, uh, you know, they do a search and they find a Jersey license for Wendy Baker. 
So then back to the Rollins drama. We get a call. Rollins gets a call and we see her. Yeah, the Kim is equal to Noah in terms of stress. Yeah. Um, Can we just get to the case? Why do we have to keep going back to Noah? But we're back to Kim. Now she's, uh, we see uh, her, Kim's wasted in the back of a patrol car. Rollins gets there, tells her to shut up. And the guy goes, we got her on open container. And you know, I understand the cops do favors for each other all the time. I don't really have a huge problem. I kind of think open container is a bullshit charge that's used to just get money from people because the open container, like, tickets are so expensive in the city. And days like St. Patrick's Day and, like, uh, probably SantaCon, they get so much money just giving people open uh, container citations. So, whatever. It just sounds like she's getting her sister off the hook, and we can already tell that Kim is super annoying and a lot of work for Rollins. So uh, now Amaro, I, I haven't even mentioned Amaro's in the. I episode. know. I just and I watched it yesterday, uh, but I I just perked up. I yeah. was like, oh, Amaro. Yeah. So Amaro and Liv have tracked down Wendy's car to like one of those car parks where all the cars are up on like big uh, ladders or whatever, and they question her in the parking lot. She's got like shopping bags with her and stuff, and she denies it, and they. They're like, well, in case we want to talk to you, can you just like give me your cell phone? And they have her put her number into Olivia's phone or something. Oh, wait, they get her to call Olivia's phone and then they have her number and this allows them to wiretap the line. That's what happens. And then so she calls Peter immediately and says clearly in code, she goes, there's a lot of traffic. Can you take the dog to the vet? And so then they track the call to the south shore of Staten Island, but then he turns off his phone as soon as he gets off the phone with Wendy. So now Amaro and Liv are tailing Wendy, which I'm sure Wendy notices. And she pulls into a driveway of a house and they arrest her against the car. And she's smirking like, you're you're not going to get me on anything. And Amaro goes into the house. He's checking the house. He finds a bedroom that's all set up for like a gross kid shoot, but there's no sign of Emily. And then he goes into this empty garage where there's some monitors set up, like uh, computer monitors. But they're all off. They all seem to be off. And then Liv joins him and he's like, we were too late. And suddenly they hear a voice go, careful detective. And one of the monitors just comes on and it's this psycho guy, Peter. And this might be the first time we're seeing his face since we saw him at the party. I don't think in the other videos he's shown his face. Um, and with Emily um, is lying on a canopy bed behind him and it's basically like a FaceTime. And he goes, we're live. And he's just fully showing them his face. And it's very, like, done-done as we go to commercial break. Wait, but I thought... Um, you know how Wendy's like, you got me on nothing? I think she drove them to a different house, and I don't think any of them were at that house ever. Right. Oh, he yeah, moved yeah, yeah. her. Yes, he moved her. Like, I think they were there, and she drove to the house, and he's moved her to another location. Okay, okay, okay. So he tells Amaro um, to ask him questions. Like, ask me any questions you want. And Emily is like, is Emily okay? And Emily's like... I'm okay. Very clearly not okay. Liv has a great ponytail here, Lisa. Did you notice? I really liked her ponytail. Like a lot of not too slick to the head, a lot of volume in it. Great pony. Um, they try to, at the same time, um, Olivia's trying to break Wendy slash Jane. And she's like telling them, she's like, Peter did not hurt me. He saved me. And they're like, he raped you on camera. And she's like, it wasn't like that. Meanwhile, Amaro's talking to Peter, who thinks he saved Emily. She's 14 years old. She's at a frat party in New York City. Who would let her do that? Like, she doesn't deserve, she needed to be saved. Like, very crazy, uh, men like mental gymnastics you're doing to think that you're saving someone. Uh, and then Wendy is 
totally brainwashed that Peter is her savior who helps all these girls and that Emily's family will forget about her eventually. And she thinks her family never even reported her missing. Peter fed me, he clothed me, he let me stay even after I aged out. It's like, already, are you listening to yourself? And then she goes, we even took, he even took me on a cruise. I'm like, well, that, he, now he's really punishing you. And Liv explains that her parents never stopped looking for her and she doesn't believe it. And then Peter, meanwhile, is being so gross and says he never hurts his girls. And he's like, tell them I'll be gentle, Emily. Then back in the Jane Wendy questioning, Rollins comes in with an iPad and has Jane's mom on the iPad and her little sister who has a little daughter who she named Janie after her missing sister. And then she finds out that her dad died and he couldn't take what happened to his daughter. So like, it's very clear her family was looking for her, have always wanted her back and that Peter has fed her a bill of goods about saving her from, you know, a family that doesn't care. And we've seen this before in, in, uh, I think in the, what's the Clover episode called? Stranger? Stranger, her dad told her, your mom, like, your mom is dead, right? Like, so they'll tell you whatever so that you, like, trust and rely on them. So now um, they're trying to find the house, but Wendy slash Jane doesn't really know exactly where it is, but she knows some details. Like, she's like, oh, the road curves, and I know that the door kind of looks like this. And we see, like, this sicko Peter in the bedroom with Emily. He's got his hand on her thigh, and he's doing this really nauseating, flirty talk. And then just then, boom, the police bounce in there, show us your hands. And I'm very relieved because I really don't, you know, obviously it's SVU. I know she's going to get saved, but I'm like, sometimes it's too late. Sometimes they are too late. Um, So Peter's like, I'm not resisting. I don't have any bruises. I'm unarmed. This is all live. And Ice goes, not anymore, and shuts the laptop. And it's like, I love how you think you're going to get out of here for like a police brutality thing when you fully are caught with a kidnapped woman in your your (laughs) house of horrors. So um, Emily and Taylor have a tearful reunion at the precinct and Amanda's like sitting there having all her sister thoughts and Cragen tells Amaro, you got to take the day off and go see your daughter. It's an order. So he knows when people have seen too much and uh, Daddy Craig's taking care of everybody. And then Liv gets in the elevator with Rollins and they talk about sister shit for a second and then she goes, take care of yourself. Back at the apartment, Kim is fully fucking on Rollins' couch. Her, It's her ex-boyfriend, Jeff. And he's like, your sister invited me. He doesn't look like a great guy just for, you know, to judge a book by its cover. And then Kim goes, yeah, he said he's sorry. He's going to take me to Cancun. And Amanda pulls out her gun and tells Jeff to get the fuck out and basically chases him out of the apartment. And Kim is pissed and is like, I didn't say I needed your help. I can take care of myself. And then Amanda goes, you're welcome. And then it's Dick Wolf. So we just know that this is going to be just the beginning chapter of more Kim and Amanda drama. I know, but it's also like, what do you mean you don't need her help? You literally are crashing on her couch. You yeah. literally need her help. <laughs> you cannot function without her. her head. Yeah. She made sure you didn't get arrested. Like, what? You definitely need her. But also your impression of her was really good. <laughs> um, yeah, I can do a pretty good Kim, Well, I can guess. you do it again? A man, say it. Say her name or something. I don't need your help. I can take care of myself. Like No, you tried really, too hard at that yeah, one. See, I put the pressure on you. Now it's bad. You put we'll pressure. have to do another episode, but that dance, was an amazing. Dance. I'm sorry. Well, when she goes, when she goes, I wanted to be a cop first. You took that from me. Like she, <laughs> you know, she does have a uh, very specific, um, they both do. They're both Atlanta girls. But um, Lisa, I know nothing about the true crimes this was based on and I am excited for you to take me there. Great. We'll be right back.
All right. So the, you know, from our research, we found out it's based on two separate cases. Um, this first one, I don't fully understand how it connects. So maybe you're pretty good at making the connections <laughs> sometimes um, that maybe I don't see, uh, but it's a, it's a case and I will share it with you. The name is hard though. Corey Gallusdorfer. Gallus. You got, I think that sounds exactly how you're supposed to say it, probably. Gallus Dorfer. What is that, German? Probably. Um, so he was a student at UNC, University of North Carolina, and he was living in the dorms as a freshman. And he would use computers in Chapel Hill in Louisville, North Carolina, uh, with a fake online persona, pretending to be a minor female. Um, and he would induce minors located in North Carolina and Georgia to produce visual depictions of sexually explicit conduct. That's from the FBI website. I'm going to say it in normal words, but I wanted you to guys to know I was on the <laughs> FBI website. <laughs> I take everything I do very seriously. But how wild were those words? Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, so he posed as a teen girl online to get young boys to send pornographic images and videos to him. Um, and then... Like, so he pretended to be 14 on Facebook and he would contact 12, 13, and 14-year-old boys. And his screen name was SwimmerChick2941. How many numbers is that off of your screen name from when you were a kid, Lisa? <laughs> I was always movie star 54. Oh, well, you were a swimmer. So I wasn't sure if maybe you leaned into that. No, but T-Mobile, or was it US Cellular at the time? Like back in the day, you could pick the four last numbers of your phone number. And mine were, well, I can't, I can't say the beginning because it's my mom's number now, but it was blah, 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 <laughs> swim. The last four digits were swim. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so you got to do that. But then I lost my phone, took my mom's phone because I'm a fucking brat. And so now she's stuck with the swim phone number. <laughs> and I hope hackers don't listen and like find my mom. They're not the going to figure clue. out the first seven digits of swim. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and his former roommate said that Gallusdorfer spent 90% of his time in his apartment on his computer. And um, what he would do was when he would get all the images and stuff that he like coursed the boys to send him, he then threatened them and said, if you don't send me more, I'm going to show all of your friends. Um, so investigators were able to obtain an IM account and cell phone number from some of the victims that they traced back to Gallusdorfer. He was arrested in May 2011 at a residence hall near the campus. The FBI took his damn laptop. And January 5th, 2012, Corey Thomas Gallistorfer, 20, entered a plea of guilty to one count production of child pornography, which um, is 15 to 30 year sentence, and one count of online enticement, an offense punishable by 10 years to life in prison. Um, he was sentenced on April 26th, 2012. And this was interesting. So on the FBI website, like it had the judges and like this DA is doing it and this assistant attorney. And I wonder if that's like their deadline and variety. <laughs> like, I wonder if it's a big deal. Like, oh, what judge has it? Like, I wonder if people in the criminal professions or like lawyers are like looking and being like, who caught the case? Wait, they yeah. get to prosecute it? I wanted to prosecute that one. <laughs> like, I wonder or if that's not it. And I just have like our career, like entertainment world in our head. But it was just funny that they were shouting out all of these people on the FBI website. Yeah. But um, the judge has the last name of Osteen Jr. That's why. Oh, that's Alstein. I was like, are you related to that fucking megachurch guy? But I don't think No, he's Austin. He's OS. That's the same last name. 
I wonder if they're related. Judge William L. Austin Jr. Um, And it was prosecuted locally. They didn't have to like go to a different town. I mean, I could barely find information about this. So like, I doubt they had to like move towns. And yeah, an assistant U.S. attorney prosecuted him because this is FBI. And he was sentenced to more than 15 years in federal prison. But like, why wouldn't you just give me how many years? Like, why would you write more than 15? Like, tell me what it is. (laughs) I don't understand. Yeah, that is weird. (laughs) But that's all the information I found on him. And like, does this even have to do with our web episode? Yeah, that is, that's weird. It is listed in a lot of places as, as like based. And I think it could just be the connection of like college campuses and young minors. Like, I don't know. Or is he like the hacker that's already in jail? Like, would he, you know, but he didn't even do that. But the hacker was taking down kitty porn sites. But he was arrested. Wasn't he arrested? And that's what he he did. Catch me if you can. He also must have been like fucking with banks and shit. You know, he must have been doing other stuff, you know? Got it. Some of those guys, there's a character like this on OC right now. A hacker who like does good stuff. Like he, you know, he's like, he he goes to jail because actually one of his hacks led to somebody dying. But he didn't mean it. Like, he only tries to hack, like, big corporations and help people. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe Job was like that. <laughs> but <Job>. anyway. <laughs> so, this is Corey. And, you know, he's in fucking prison. And that's that. And the FBI got him. Um, this next case is more intertwined. And I think you'll see. And it's Jessica Mullenberg. And it's her case. And it's Jessica with a Y, not an I in the middle. Which I've just never so imagining seen. it. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't either. Um, she was a 13-year-old girl. Um, and she was abducted by a man who had really, like expertly woven himself throughout her life for several years. I think you're going to be really shocked by some of this. Mm-hmm. So she, um, her parents were divorced and she was spending a weekend at her father's house in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Which I think that they bring up that town in the episode. Because Wendy's from Wisconsin. I think it's pronounced Eau Claire, but I think that the girl Misty says something about EC. And I think she's talking about Eau Claire. Whoa. If you're from Eau Claire, Wisconsin, tell me if they call it EC ever. Because I there was something that that girl said that I kept rewinding it to understand what she was saying. And I could not get it, but it was something about Wisconsin. And I was like, maybe, and I moved on. But now it's like coming back to me now that I'm seeing it here. So maybe I'm wrong, but let, yeah, let me know, know if you're an Eau Claire, Wisconsin native and you guys call it that. <laughs> um, And, you know, obviously, like I understand, it's when you're, when your kid gets kidnapped, it's terrible. And I understand why you're sad about it. But her mother said something very clear and concise that I thought like really encapsulated what you probably feel. But she goes, you don't know if they're being hurt. You don't know if they're cold or hungry or being abused. Like you just don't know anything about where your kid is. So that's like very, very hard. But twist, they did know something and they knew exactly who took her. Jessica had taken a trip with her creative writing, in quotes, mentor named Stephen Oliver. Now, he met her when he was a teacher's aide at her school, um, and he was a father of one, of one of her classmates, and he ran the writing club for interesting students at the school. And he was obsessed 
with Jessica, like obsessed. Um, and like, he looks like a creep. You guys should Google him. He looks like a stock photo of a child molester. Like if you wanted to look at clip art, like this is what this, what a molester I'm sure it's like. the clip. I'm sure it's the post we're going to use on social media. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to Google. We'll post it. I don't know why I forgot. We we're going to give it to you. Yeah. <laughs> He followed their family to two different Wisconsin towns and then moved in across the street from her father. And the parents kept trying to like get a restraining order mm. or like file something, but he wasn't doing anything illegal. Like, Got it. Technically. He just moved in across yeah, the street. Yeah, just being a general creep. Yeah, and so the cops, of course, like couldn't do anything, but the parents knew it was fucked up. It wasn't, they were like, oh, all right, whatever. It was legit like mm. he followed her around. He was obsessed with her in school and no one did anything and they did try to go to the cops and they just couldn't do anything. So then he finally abducted her and held her captive for more than three months. He told her that a publisher was interested in a short story that she had written and that it was going to be published and they had to go to Madison, Wisconsin to get it all laid out. And so September 16th, 1995, she agreed to go with Oliver to his car to see the publisher. She fell asleep in the car ride. That seems fine. But when she woke up, both of her feet and hands were bonded together. And he said to her, I'm taking you. And there was nothing that she could do about it. God. And then he took her to Kansas City, which is an eight-hour drive. And then they boarded a plane to Houston. How? I don't know. How is that possible? Well, how old is she at this point? Like, a t she's 13. God, I don't know when you have to start like showing ID for your kids. Cause like I can bring my kids on a plane with no ID. Like no one sees who they and are. And this they is also pre 9 11. Yeah. So, so if I didn't you're travel like, this is my daughter, time. I bought a ticket in her name, or maybe they changed, he changed her name. Kids don't have ID. So there's kind of no, I guess that that's possible. It's fucked up that they were able to board a plane. It like yeah. really uh, stresses me out. And yeah, now it's cause we make fun of TSA and how they're kind of worthless, but like, would have been great to have more security here. I don't know. Just boarding a plane to Houston is like, a, was a lot for me to read. Um, and yeah, like you would have thought that like her, there would have been like an uh, APB out for her and like that they would all the TS, all the number of people that you interface with at an airport. You know what I mean? Like that they would, ugh, scary. I mean, yeah. you can't take them internationally, but you can take them domestically. Fucked yeah. up. And then she ended up spending most of her time in captivity in a hotel room in Houston. He got a job working at the motel as a painter and he kept her in a small room in an abandoned wing of the motel. What's oh an abandoned God. wing of a motel though? It's like I don't know. so weird to think about. I hate it. <laughs> um, and he used the cover, like you said, with the plain stuff that, of a father-daughter. And that was the invented story. And then because, but she did look so, so sad. So there was a cover story that her, the mom and her twin brother were killed in a car accident. And that's why she's so sad. Oh, wow. And he changed the way she looked. She, you know, he cut her hair and dyed it. And the next three and a half months were fucked and she just had to do whatever she could to survive. Um, she had to call him dad and her name was now Cindy Johnson. He threatened to kill her all the time and threatened to kill her parents and siblings if she ever said anything. And sadly, the abuse was physical, sexual, and mental. Um, oh she God. was either raped or hit every single day. 
Um, if she didn't do a sexual act the way he wanted, he would like chain or tie her to the bed. And so, and then within weeks, he convinced her that her parents didn't want her back, didn't love her. But in reality, they had distributed more than 15,000 posters with Jessica's photograph as part of a nationwide search. Oh. But she said... Um, that she became very disconnected from reality and remembered very little from her past life. And I wonder if that's like your brain protecting you so you don't like miss something. Like, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, don't think about your siblings that you may never see again because you're literally probably like, I'm going to die when this is over. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ugh. But it happens so fast, you know? Like, when I guess when you take away everything from someone, you can regress so fast. Mm -hmm. And she just explained like resisting wasn't worth it because she was like, I'd rather get hit once than 20 times. Mm -hmm. I'd rather be hit with his hand than a pot or a chair or a broom. Because I know a lot of times um, assholes like to bring up like, why didn't you leave? Why didn't you fight? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you report? And it's like, you know, hearing it from her mouth being like, it's not worth it to resist because I just would have been punished more. And let's say she gets out and she runs up to a cop and goes, I'm, I've been abducted. And he runs up and goes, I'm her dad. She's, we got into a fight. Like they're going to give him back to her, let her back to him. You know, like I've, that happened to Jeffrey Dahmer, one of his victims. Like that just happens. Like, I don't know. Yeah. She had no reason to think that she would be able to go to anybody for help if she got away. Yeah. Um, and she was thankfully saved by a motel restaurant manager. The manager saw an episode of America's Most Wanted, um, which confirmed her like her suspicions that it that Oliver was up to something. Um, it was a Thursday night rebroadcast. So just a fucking rerun, a chance watching of America's Most Wanted. And when the authorities raced um, to the Days Inn Hotel in Houston, they knew who Jessica was, but she had forgotten. Like, they had to show her pictures from her past to come back to reality. And then when she was reunited at the airport with her mother, she was wearing an FBI baseball cap. It's a very famous picture. And that's straight... Like, did they ask her to wear it? Or did she want to wear it? Like, what made her wear a giant... FBI hat? I think maybe they think you want to cover your face and that's all they kind of have with them, you know? No, like her a face was open. It was just like, <laughs> were they like, let everyone know? Or maybe the, because she was a kid and they were trying to like be her friend. They're like, do you want this hat? I don't know. It, it just, <laughs> um, and, you know, post that, like she did have to go afterwards through several surgeries to repair her jaw because she was beaten uh. so badly. Oliver is serving a 40-year sentence in federal prison. Um, How so is it he not dies life? There. I have no idea. That's fucked. He might have pled guilty. So that she wouldn't have to testify? Yeah, maybe. Or something like that. But um, yeah, let's say he was in his 30s, you know, in his 70s. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, hopefully he dies there. Like, yeah. let's just do that. Um, and Jessica has said that even though he's in jail, he still controls my life because I can't go forward. Um, and her and her mom are very vocal and have done interviews throughout the decade and plus um, and work in activism and like work for victims and just so people understand what happens afterwards and let people know that like you can move forward and you can have a good life. And so they're very vocal. There's a lot of um, interviews that you can find. And that's how we know a lot of this information um, is like through her. But yeah. of course... 
reinforce that trauma controls your life. Like she yeah. said, she had a lot of trouble um, learning to trust people. She didn't really want to have children. I mean, there was like a lot of stuff. Um, but yeah, she, like I said, she continues to tell her story of her abduction as a counselor and really tries to help people with similar experiences. She has said that she is forever grateful to John Walsh and also grateful to the woman who had the courage to make that phone call. Yeah. It reminds me of the waitress that saw um, uh, Shasta. Shasta. Yeah. Yeah. We got courageous women out here in service positions fucking calling in credible tips. Um, She says, uh, be involved in your community. And if you come across a situation where something feels wrong, contact the authorities. You never know whose life you could be saving. And we talk about that a lot. Like, what's the worst that can happen? You're wrong. Hmm. Yeah. Try to help people. Um, And Jessica is now married. She does have two children. And she graduated with honors from the University of Wisconsin, majoring in psychology. And and that's where she's at. It's like she was just a 13-year-old girl interested in writing. And some guy was like, you belong to me. You know? Well, that's why it's so insulting and annoying and makes me so mad when the conversation's like, when can Louie do jokes again? When can we forgive? When are you going to get over it? Let people be acting. And it's like, or Harv- or whatever it is. And it's like, why aren't you more worried about the victims and how we're going to get them back to their passions mm-hmm. and what they want to do and how many people haven't lived to their full potential because of being abused? Like, it's so fucked up that we care more about these criminals and when they can come back to work mm-hmm. than countless lives. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the patriarchy, baby. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just so glad she was found alive. I guess that's the silver lining. And you know, like Elizabeth Smart and other people we've talked about using your trauma to help other people. It must help them. And it's, you know, um, good we have them. But uh, we do have a great guest and we're excited. So don't go anywhere. Buckle up. You guys, today's guest was so fun to talk to. You've seen her in everything from True Blood to Justified to Hatfields and McCoys. Soon you'll be able to catch her with Robert De Niro, no big deal, in the upcoming thriller, Wash Me in the River. But you probably know her best as the sister we love to hate, Kim Rollins. Check out our chat with Lindsay Pulsifer. Hi. Oh my gosh. I cannot believe we're talking to Kim Rollins. (laughs) The infamous. And for those who don't, you know, you can't see Lindsay right now, but your hair is amazing. You're like truly Goldilocks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Are you, are you, where, where are you based right now? Are you in LA or are you in New York? Yes. No, I'm in, I'm in LA. Um, My husband and I live out here um, and it's, finally starting to feel like spring. It's really yeah, nice. Yeah, me too. I'm out here too and it's really getting really beautiful. Yeah. Well, really this is, is jumping kind of ahead, but you mentioned your husband and yes. we've found a pattern on this podcast talking to people who are like spoused with other actors. Do you guys do self-tapes <laughs> together or not? And if you do, does it cause arguments? <laughs> <laughs> we 100% do self-tapes together and it 100% <laughs> causes arguments. <laughs> um, no, it's so, it is really convenient to have another actor that gets it and like, you know, can do it on a dime and 
Um, it's amazing. But I mean, yeah, it it definitely causes friction more from me than him because he's usually more prepared than I am. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's kind of, it's amazing, but it's kind of a pain in the ass too. <laughs> I love it. So let's talk about your SVU journey. How did it all start? How did you, like, did you... Did you know like, you'd keep coming back? Was it what yeah, the story? They, so they um Warren Light, uh, I feel like I think it was Warren Light, the showrunner, um, called up my manager. He had just seen me on Hatfields and McCoys, and he said, Hey, we want Lindsay to come out and play Kelly's sister. Um, it's probably gonna be, you know, a couple episodes this season. It could go into more. Um, and I was like, awesome. I'd never seen the show, but um, you know, I'd worked with Kelly, fun fact. We had worked together on a show called Chase that she was the the lead of. Oh. And I just did a guest star and we were we were just, you know, talking in between takes and we were like, man, we should play sisters one day. And, <laughs> and then like, uh, you know, a year later, Warren Light called and asked if I'd come play her sister. So um, yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was I mean, that was like 10 years ago almost at this point. Yeah. I had no wow. idea I'd do, you know, a handful. Like, they just keep calling me back. They're like, hey, you want to come in? I'm like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. Because um, you always know something something's messed up when Kim's about to blow back into town. You know, something is uh, amiss. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How did you develop the accent for the character? I am a big fan of watching movies. Um, or TV, you know, uh, that's centered around where the accent is from. I can't remember what show I watched specifically, but I remember Kelly, she complimented me on my accent. She's like, you really nailed it. <laughs> so, yeah, because she she's really from Georgia. Yes. yes so she's, really she's going to tell you if you're getting it right or not. Oh, yeah. And she actually is one that would not hold back. Like, she would tell you. She'd be like, no, you could do better. <laughs> yeah. So. I wonder if you were watching The Real Housewives of Atlanta. Was that it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Actually, I do. I, I love The Real Housewives. We could talk about that too. Oh, so. <laughs> you've come to the right place. Well, now kind of the joke with The Housewives it is it has become true crime. These people just keep committing hor horrific crimes. I know. From By coast the way, to coast. I'm from Salt Lake City. And so, of no. course, I'm watching ah. the new season. <laughs> and uh, Jen Shaw, I mean, yeah, she I just finished the reunion last night. I and did wow. too. Wow. So what good. a group of gals. <laughs> and Jen got caught on that show, but Mary is for sure a criminal too. And the fact that there's multiple criminals on this. 100%. And like a grandfather was a henchman. That's a criminal, right? Like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> 100%. I mean, at least Jen Shaw's like out in the open and is like, you know, oh. come at me with whatever you want. But She's yeah. acting like she got a parking ticket and it wasn't her car. I mean, she's like... <laughs> Oh, I'm innocent. It's like the Southern District of New York is investigating you. They have a 95% conviction rate. Like you did something. Like there's I know. No, you, you she's acting like, I don't know where any of this came from. Like it's just so hilarious. It's but so ridiculous. We could do, we could turn this into a Housewives podcast, but let's for um, for well, the moment, we should probably stay I don't on know. track with Well, this no, video. do you know that um Luann was in an episode of SVU? Oh, <gasps> yeah, from New York. No, she wasn't. She yeah, season? In season 12, Bullies. So I think that's one before you got there. I think you started on season 13. I have um, to watch this. But what housewife do you think will would make a great SVU guest star? Oh my God. That you would like to interact with, maybe. 
Dorinda, 100%. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, she doesn't get any better. She's the best. And oh, yeah. Think, Dorinda can play your next lawyer or something. Yes. <laughs> and I'm fairly certain she's a big fan of SBU. Ooh, Just putting it out there. That's good okay. But yeah, I can okay. see her in court going, clip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, she's at Bluestone Manor watching USA marathons for sure. All the time. Yeah. For sure. Um, so this is your first episode this is like when we first meet Kim. So like, have you, have you gauged like a general fan reaction to your character? Since oh my God. On the show? People, <laughs> people, very polarizing. I have a lot of people <laughs> that are like, you are the worst person that ever lived. <laughs> um, thankfully, you know, if I meet somebody in person, I can kind of redeem myself, but you know, it's, it's. I um, think it helps because you don't sound like her at all. Like yeah. you just don't have that. Like, cause she has that like, not only is it a Southern Amanda. accent, but it's like so like sweet and like like syrupy, you know, yeah, and you don't talk almost, like that. Yeah, it's almost condescending. Like she's yeah. a little bit condescending. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I think for the majority of people hate my character. <laughs> I mean, and I guess that means talk. you're doing a good job. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. But we always joke how you know, Kim is one of the most hated uh, characters. <laughs> but the Without whole show's about murders and rapists. So it's <laughs> like, but yeah, they you know, you really cause a stir. And the thing that's funny point. is that like, a lot of people are on the fence about Rollins. Like some people are like, oh, we don't like Rollins or we do, or like, or there's people that love, love, love Rollins. But the people that, don't love Rollins, I think even are like, okay, Kim, that's too much. Like, yeah, it's so true. It's so true. <laughs> you cleared out all the furniture from her apartment. You framed her for like an insurance murder. I mean, like your character's off the wall. I just love picturing Kim Rollins at a pawn shop trying to like get rid of the ice trays, you know? Like, hey, what, what are you, you going to yeah, get yeah, me Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ice trays. She <laughs> yeah. took all the ice. That's so, oh my God, I remember that. Well, and, and did the you ever flute. think, yeah, the flute. And you, the flute. <laughs> Did you ever think you'd be in a show where the flute is like the main, like one of the main characters? <laughs> well, I mean, that the uh, orchestra or the the flautist that played that, I mean, you know, it went hand in hand. It was perfect. It was, it was I don't know, it was great. <laughs> what do you think's the worst thing that Kim has done out of all of the things to Amanda? Oh my God. I don't, I mean, she's done so many terrible things. Like, <laughs> ugh. I mean, I feel like her getting her to murder her boyfriend is that's probably the worst thing ethically morally (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty bad um but i mean she's done so many terrible things it's hard to say yeah but at the same time she is kind of like a good depiction of like dealing with somebody in your life who had who has these struggles like not only with substance abuse but mental health and like you know, I that that kind of stuck with me that it, that episode where she ODs in the bathroom with her kid and she's like, but then I felt better, so I wanted to stop taking the medication. And that's like the classic story of you know yeah. people on medication that you know you so like there is some stuff about her I found as I was rewatching all of your parts in it recently that you're like yeah I mean she is really bad but she also is you know a real person with all these sort of real human flaws. Yes. And I feel like um, we really, you know, Kelly and I have talked about this, but it is kind of important to shed light on the fact that, you know, bipolar really is, it's a it's a very serious disease. We have people, you know, I have people that are close to me that have it. And it's, um, you know, it is something that if they do bring me back, I would love, you know, to maybe 
shed some more light and and bring to light the fact that you know this is a, it's a, a, a tragic disease that affects not only you know everybody around them but the people that have it it's it's just devastating and um so i've really wanted to be careful with that too yeah. you know not wanting to play a caricature of somebody that is mentally ill um but yeah we've always been really careful about that wanting to be careful about that yeah it's great because Amanda's like, I thought you turned a corner. And it's like, yeah, but that's, you keep thinking that people turn corners and they do turn corners, but then they turn another corner. You know, it's like, yeah, that just, it's like that's a just a few steps forward and like 15. Yeah. Back. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. And did you base um, your characterization on any people from your real life or did you draw on certain famous characters that have bipolar? Like, yeah. Um, no, it wasn't, it wasn't based on anything specific. I kind of just wanted to, I just showed up to set and wanted to just be completely out of control without having any like attachment to how I was going to play her or, um, you know, what I was, what choices I was going to make. I really just wanted to show up and be completely in the moment and make all of the decisions on the spot. And it's really freeing to do that. It's a little terrifying, but it's really freeing to, because every take we did, you know, something different came out. And um, I'm always, I always really like, to see what takes they choose, you know, because on a procedural show, you don't often get like the freedom to kind of have fun and play. And so I feel like Kim kind of brings that to set. And so, you know, when she shows up, people are like, oh, it's going to be, at least it's going to be fun on set, you know, like it's going (laughs) to be kind of ridiculous, but it's going to be fun. And, you know, um, so I, I tried to just keep it spontaneous and, and just kind of completely out of control. Yeah, I mean, you did stab a pimp in the crotch, so <laughs> I can't. Remember. I think was you've it achieved with a it. Pencil or something. I feel like it was like <laughs> I can't remember. <gasps> Terrible. <laughs> Are there any stories about Kelly Giddish or any of the other co-stars or just uh, stories on set that you feel some SVU fans and our listeners would love to hear? Oh my god! I mean, it's it's one of the coolest, most laid back, fun sets I've ever been a part of. Everybody is like a giant family. Um, Mariska walks in and she's just like, she's so down to earth and so damn funny. She has like a really great sense of humor. Um, she was like busting my balls as soon as I walked in the door. She's like, oh, you know, just like I had been there forever. And, um, she's amazing. She's, yeah, she's got a really funny sense of humor. And Kelly is also, you know, they're all just such great people. It's such an easy job. Like, I feel like every time I do an episode, I'm like, this doesn't feel like work at all. That's amazing. Because a lot of people that come on that show have to like cry and go through all these like intense emotions. So it's nice to not have to worry about there being like weird politics or, you know, a weird feeling of exclusion on the set. Like that to feel like that's all Yeah, good. bullying people that are... Yeah. <laughs> hey, get Really together. pushing themselves. <laughs> and do yeah. you... um Did you ever have time with the... The dog, Franny, is Franny oh. around. <laughs> oh my Franny. God. Franny's on set all the time. All, you know, like she comes and goes. She's so well-trained. Um, she's such a sweetheart. Uh, Kelly actually got Franny on um, while she was working in Texas on Chase, which is the show we met on. Um, so yeah, I've, Franny's been in, you know, I've, I've known her for a long time. Wow. <laughs> and she's the sweetest. She's great. Oh my God. And this is going back to what we're talking about, about your character and the fan reaction to it. Um, have you been approached by fans in a wild way ever? <laughs> oh, God. That is a really good question. Um, 
No, that's usually people are very like, I got to ask you, like they don't, I think they're afraid to approach me sometimes because <laughs> they might think that I am my character, but it's usually in a very like polite, you know, I just got to ask you, you're Kim Rollins, right? <laughs> and it's like, you know, and then I'm always, I try and be very nice. So they know that I'm not my character, but <laughs> yeah. No, I just um, like love, I was just rewatching your episodes and like the where there's the one where you come back, the one where we meet Virginia Madsen and you're, you waltz right up to Amanda, like, what's up? Like you haven't had a warrant out for your arrest for two and a half years <laughs> in New York. You just saunter up to her at a park in New York and you're like, hey babe, like it's so. Here I am. Good to see you. <laughs> love ya. Oh, I know. I'm you were so like, ridiculous. is that thing, is that still a thing? That <laughs> yeah. warrant? Like, Oh my God. <laughs> Are they still looking for me? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like working with Virginia Madsen? I mean, she's I an mean, icon. She's an icon. She's a dream come true. When I ha heard that she was going to be our mom, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, I wish that I got to work with her more. I was only on set with her one day. I think I think it was just one day. Um, but she's she's great. I mean, such a pro. Like, you know, that's the thing about SVU. They get the bet, like, the pros of the pros. Yeah. People want to be on that show and, and they, yeah, they get good peeps. So yeah, she was great. It was, it was really fun. You did miss the Maloney years in SVU. Did you guys ever cross paths on True Blood? Did any of your episodes? We, we didn't ever, I didn't ever work with Chris, but that is one of the biggest feedbacks I get is they're like, went before he had come back, you know, or went back to the the new show, I guess. Yeah. He was like, is he coming? Everybody was like, is he coming back? When is he coming back? Like asking, you know, that everybody just love him. I understand. Um, well, they're ill too. These people are ill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, um, but we didn't ever work together on True Blood, but we um, like at table reads and that kind of thing. Um but yeah, I, I did never get to work with him, sadly. And I watched True Blood and was, uh, and you were awesome on it. Were, were you, were, I had two kids since I watched True Blood and my brain is truly scrambled eggs. But like, did you, you were with Ryan Quantin's character? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I remember you guys having a lot of hot and heaviness. <laughs> um, was it hard to focus with such a hot <laughs> co-star? I mean, he's so insanely ridiculous. He's so handsome, but he's also <laughs> such a smart ass. Like, if it ever felt like things were getting too serious, you know, like in a makeout scene, he would like, he'd like fart or like burp or like, <laughs> you know, like just do smart ass stuff. He'd always show up to after eating lunch and he'd be like, oh yeah, I, I ate um, onions and, you know, garlic for lunch so we could kiss <laughs> for our kiss or whatever. Um, but yeah, it, he, uh, he was great. He was really fun to work with. Amazing. So let's say Kim comes back. We're all hopeful for it. Um, she's maybe left jail, still in jail. What do you see for the next Kim episode? Um, well, like I said, I think it would be really good to show like the redeeming, or not the redeeming, but the human side of bipolar disorder and, you know, maybe shed some light, have some more empathetic mm -hmm. moments and kind of just dive into mental health issues. Um, I would love her to have some resolve. Like I would love her to like get her shit together, but I don't think she ever will. You don't, you don't, I just, I imagine you, uh, the characters like her and Amanda getting mani pedis or yeah. like a <laughs> sweet moment where they, uh, you know. Truly well, connect. I'm kind of picturing, cause like, I don't know if you're watching the show now, but they finally got, you know, Amanda and Carisi finally got together. So all the 
releasey fans, as they call themselves, are rejoicing. And <laughs> they're like having all these cute at-home moments. And I feel like what Kim's next appearance is either going to blow that all up or she's going to like join in and be like, I'm home for Christmas, Amanda. And then like, you know, it's going to be like, she somehow, I don't know if she's going to get her kid back. I hope so. I know. I, know. I mean, that poor kid, he's like... Where's he been, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, he's with the mom, apparently. You're, the mom took her and they live outside of the city. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know. It, I I am so happy that um, Rollins and Carisi finally got together because that was a long time coming and uh-huh. everybody was wanting it. And I feel like it's very satisfying. I, I haven't watched... I don't watch the show on a regular basis. I'll Like if I'm on a plane or something, I'll watch it because it's so entertaining. But um, But I know that that's like a big thing. You know, I have a lot of friends that are big fans and they're very Yeah, and Carisi's always been in Kim's corner a little bit, right? I'm, Isn't Carisi yes. usually like, hey, don't go easy on her, Amanda? Like, <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I have an idea. Because um, Kim, you know, Kim has a big crush on Carisi. She's always like flirting yeah. with him. Yeah. She's always flirting with Amanda's partners. So, you know, they could bring me back and I could try and steal him away. You know? <gasps> he would I'm never... Just he would never. I don't think Sun. I think your character's very charming, but I don't think Sonny's that kind of guy. No, He's no, like no. a he mama's would... boy Italian, like one hundred percent. But it would be funny to watch her try. Sure, and it'd be yeah, yeah. It'd be satisfying to see her get you know let down. <laughs> <laughs> well, or to have somebody tell her no. She seems like she's just like a master manipulator and like. Yes. Like she's. I love when she's always talking about her lawyer, but I don't think we ever see him. His name's like. Just said, I don't know. It's Lorenzo. It's Lorenzo or DeBeppo yeah. or something. Yes. Like that. Which like... I saw, I was watching, my husband and I are catching up on The Sopranos and he was on like a few episodes in the early seasons. I, there's a lot of crossover um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. on that. And uh, the the um, the costumer, uh, Judith, she was the um, costumer on Sopranos for like the for the first like five or six seasons, I think. So oh, wow, that makes us happy. We talk about the wardrobe and how awesome it is, and in like gives little clues all the time. So that makes yeah. sense that she was doing all the cool shit in New York. Yes, yes, Juliet. That's her name, Juliet. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So it's funny the crossover on Sopranos and SBA. oh yeah, and there's tons of like Oz. I think anything that was shooting in the New York area, everybody's like working on the same kind of totally. stuff. Yeah, um, totally. Because we, we get a lot of people from Oz on our pods. Yes. Oh, yes, yes. And we saw on IMDb, you've wrapped a few things. Things are in yes. post-production. Can you like chat about stuff that we can see you in in the future? Yeah, I um, I did a film with um, Robert De Niro and John Malkovich, Danny Houston, um, called Watch oh. Me in the River. It should be out this year. I think it's coming out this year. Um, Just De Niro? I mean, uh, I was a Ma- I'm a Malkovich hardcore and girl. Malkovich. That's I mean, insane. Just two icons. Wow. Oh, I know. I know. And we shot it in Puerto Rico, which was in the middle of the pandemic, which was kind of interesting. Whoa. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was amazing to work with him. It was, you know, we're wearing our masks for like rehearsal, and I was like, I'm cool. I'm cool. This is not a big deal. You know, I'm fine. And then we take off our masks and I'm like, oh, holy shit, that's Robert De Niro. <laughs> I'm about to act opposite him. Um, so that was pretty surreal. What Can you tell us like just like the log line of it? Like what's the yeah, main? Yeah, it's a, um, it's a uh, kind of a revenge film. Um, Danny Houston's character loses his, the love of his life tragically. And he kind of goes on um, a redemption, or a, a revenge kind of tour um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty dark and I play, you know, 
uh, trailer trash. <laughs> but, hey. you know, girlfriend, it's great. I mean, I, pl- I guess I play it well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm also doing some writing myself. I, uh, I um, just finished a, a second draft of a script. I'm hoping to shoot in Utah. It's kind of loosely based on my um, my decision to leave the Mormon church at like 14 or 15. Um, so that's kind of where my focus has been. Um, I, I, we're hoping to shoot it there next year. So amazing. You should get Heather Gay to make a cameo. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Write a scene at the beauty lab. Yes. (laughs) Fun fact, my older brother went to school, high school with Heather Gay. Oh, wow. And was she a fun time gal? Very fun time gal, but (laughs) In Mormon terms, back yeah. then, you know, she was. So she drank like soda and like yeah, went off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she drank Coke, which was full you know, fl- yeah, full yeah. caffeine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've been really enjoying watching her journey on that show with leaving the Mormon Church and seeing oh, how yeah. that all works and everything. So it's, I think people are very intrigued by that subject matter. So that's cool that you're doing that. Yeah, yeah. It feels it's really it's very close to me, you know, my kind of own journey. So it's very vulnerable. It's mm. it's put me in a very vulnerable place. But I think it's been really good, um, therapeutic. You know, I I kind of didn't realize how severe the Mormon Church um, affected me because I left so young. I was like, oh no, I, you know, yeah. But it really it really affected my formative years. And they're making a they're making a TV show of Under the Banner of Heaven or they made it. It's oh, coming out on FX oh. and it looks like intense. Amazing. Is it documentary or is it scripted? No, I think it's scripted. Oh my God. That's going to be so good. Yeah. I can't wait. How did you decide and do it at such a young age? Well, I, I mean, it's so many reasons. I really had a hard time with the... Um, guilt issue of like never feeling like I was going to be good enough. I was never going to make it to heaven. I was never going to live up to the standards. Um, But I'm also bisexual and it was really hard. You know, I had a lot of guilt and shame around that. And um, that was really kind of the ultimate. I was like, I cannot, I, I don't know how to function in this world and be who I am. And it felt better for me to leave the church than to try and, you know, force myself into what, what, you know, normal looked like for them. So it was a lot of things, but, um, yeah, yeah, I'm only really kind of diving deeper into it now since I'm, you know, now that I'm a little bit older, I didn't realize it affected me as much. (laughs) Yeah. That's a serious, that's a real thing. I mean, to leave any religion, I feel. We've talked to a few people on our podcast that have had, um, that have left religions and it just seems, it seems like it's, been great for them, but yeah, it's a huge, it's like a huge And you're right, Heather is decision. the first person I've seen that is so open about this journey. And you see, like she left a while ago and it's still constantly like shedding those things that are ingrained in you. It's so true. And thankfully my family, you know, I come from a big, you know, there's six kids in my family, but thankfully my parents were always very liberal and loving. Like they didn't, you know, there was never, I never got shut out from my family because I have a lot of friends, you know, that were shut out because mm. I had a, a really dear friend that was gay, came out of the closet after his Mormon mission. He had to come home because he was too tempted with, you know, living with these, with other guys. And he came home and told his parents and his parents were like, well, we don't, we can't have you in our lives. And I just don't know what's worse to not have your son in your life or to accept that your son is gay, you know, mm. like it's just, 
I'm very lucky I didn't have that, you know, um, experience with my family. Yeah. I'm also yeah. one of six kids. Are you? Are yeah. you from a religious family or just? No. Well, Catholic. Well, yeah. My, yeah. my mom is Catholic. My dad is Jewish. We were raised Jewish, but the whole many children thing came from my mom's. She's just obsessed with having kids. Like, yeah. she wanted to have a seventh after and it didn't work out. And I was like, I think it's for the best. We can barely fit in one car. Yeah. What number are you? I was just going to ask you. I'm six. Oh, I'm sorry, five out of six. You're five. I'm one. I'm number one. Oh my God. Yeah. And yeah. you can tell she's really on top of a lot of stuff. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm definitely the fifth. I I was like, you know, I it was easier for me to disappear. I just kind of got <laughs> lost in the in the mayhem, but yeah. No, you've really redeemed <laughs> I, I think all of our listeners are going to love hearing you. As yes. a, not Kim. This is like no, huge. People are going to seriously be like, I hated Kim until I heard her on that semester. Yeah. <laughs> Look, that's kind of my my mission right now is to, you know, let people know I am a good person. The Kim Rollins <laughs> apology tour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yay, loved her. Justice for, <laughs> for Kim. I think she's made uh, yeah, some fans turn. I think she's going to turn people. Yeah, I'm very pumped. Yeah, now's the moment for them to write in a part where she's being normal and maybe she can have some full validation in people's eyes. Because for me, she was like right there with uh, Noah. And I know I'm accepting she's a little bit more. She's worse than Noah. <laughs> of course, much worse. She's, she's much I worse than I thought you Noah. were going to compare her to Stucky. I thought it was going to be, or a blonde Oh, yeah, one. he's, yeah, Stucky is... I have a visceral reaction to Stucky. I want to, like, kill him. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, Kim is really bad. I'm like, who else? Stucky, Bronwyn. Kim. People hate Bronwyn. True. People do hate Bronwyn. She, like, if you're Team William Lewis, you're no team of ours. Like, that's... <laughs> I'm sorry. If you're um, helping him. But, yeah, we're, yeah. No. You're an enemy. Yeah. A true enemy. But Lindsay was cool, and I'm happy that she shared about her Mormon church leaving as well. Yeah, that was really... I love to hear people having successful extrications from their religions. Um, but post-mortem, this episode, I mean, yeah, I guess don't go to college parties when you're 14, but, but that, they're going to keep going. They're going to keep going. They just, yeah. I, but I do think things have shifted. There were young girls in the front row of a show I was doing in New York. And I was like, oh, are you guys going to, it was very much like Rihanna and Taylor Swift of the red carpet. Like, I'm not here to meet men. What are you talking about? Like these girls were like, we're not, that's not even on our brain. Like, yeah. I do think the vibe of the youth is different. And so even if they were going to have fun, I don't think they're interested in creep bags anymore. I hope. Yeah, yeah going to a frat house and like banging. Yeah, for sure. Um, Don't escape the hotels, but I heard my nephew fucking left his hotel room on his school trip to go to the girls' room and got caught because the girl that was sleeping told on the boys. Ooh, a narc. A narc. A fucking loser narc. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Because you're not being visited. Yeah, I don't know. So I, but don't leave the hotel. If you're going to leave the hotel room, at least don't leave the hotel. Yeah. And if you're um, going to go not somewhere. Not to blame the victim. But. If you're going to bring your goody-goody sister somewhere, you got to keep an eye on her. Like, you just, you can't leave to hook up. You got to keep an eye. Like, and also, if you are in college and there is like a 35-year-old man who's hanging around, bringing around drugs and alcohol saying, I used to be in this frat, red flag. Like, huge. You got to get that guy out of there. 
Yeah, he should be at home making enchiladas. Okay, <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> he should not be out doing about. anything else but talking about UNC basketball with a 14 year old at a party. Oh, God. And if a grown man has something in common with you, they're grooming. You're lying. I don't know. It's just like a very upsetting episode. And the young girl was such a good actress. Like, it was a fucked up scene when she's just like confused on the, you know? Yeah. Being taped. And she's like, what is going on? And the idea that a lot of these criminals in the real life case, too, of like convincing people their families don't love or care about them or yeah. are searching for them. That seems to be kind of a trend with predators. Yeah, no, I mean, I was just talking to my friend on the phone yesterday who's a high school guidance counselor in Massachusetts, and she was like, it's just, like, so much worse coming back from COVID the way these kids treat each other. Like, they're all so horrible to each other. Wait, really? Yeah, she's like, she's like, like, the racism, the, like, random, like, it's like shit they see on TikTok, they just repeat, and, like, She's like, it's so much worse. I feel like they all, like, it's probably, you know, it's a lot of, like, trauma from the pandemic, I really think. But, yeah, so it's just, like, in the real crime, like, where someone's taking advantage of a kid who's being bullied. And, you know, I just, it's like, I just feel like high school's such a fucking minefield now. Not to bring this up, because, you know, the slap is old news by now, but... um. I didn't know this, but I guess Chris Rock was horribly bullied his whole life, like so bad that he got really angry once and beat the shit out of someone with a brick and almost killed them. And that's why he's like so anti-violence and has been in therapy like five to seven days a week trying to deal with it. Oh my gosh. Wow. I didn't know any of that. I didn't either because I didn't watch Everybody Hates Chris, but now that makes sense. Does he talk about that on stage or anything? No. I have no idea. Yeah. But that's, how else would these people know? I'm sure he talks about it somewhere. Um, But he went up at the Comedy Cellar last night and I can't wait to hear what his set was about. Yeah, I mean, he went directly on to tour. So I thought he handled everything like so well. I was, I really like gained a new respect for him just in that sense, you know? Yeah, and I saw like a video, someone got a video of it right after it happened, like after he handed off the Oscar and you can tell like, the emotion in his face. Like, he's, like, sad and confused and, like... So there's just so many layers and it's it's interesting to learn someone being, like, not still affected deep into their 50s was something that happened as children, even though you have, like, all the money, all the resources, all the therapy, your dream gig, all of these things, and you're still, like, bogged down by these moments in childhood. Yeah. Oh my God. It really, I didn't, I didn't know that the kids have been meaner post COVID. I don't know. That might be anecdotal. That might be just, I think it's like, they're all like struggling to deal with like what's happened over the past couple of years. And then they're also at like such a formative time in there. Um, She's actually middle school. So it's like eighth graders. So it's like like high school adjacent. But so they're a little younger, but that like, I mean, I don't know about you, like seventh grade was like the worst year of my life. Like, I mean, I just think right when you're at that puberty turn and everyone's horrible and mean, like, so I just, uh, I don't know that I makes me, um, sad for like all these kids that had to go through. I mean, we all had to go through it. Well, definitely the racism of it all. Like if your parents are racist pieces of shit, you definitely, I think, are coming out of your isolated bubble aggressive and fucked up. Totally. And I think, yeah, and there's, like, stuff on social media where people think they can, like, say whatever the hell they want. But that has nothing to do with these kidnapped things. I don't know. Be on the lookout. Don't trust old men around young people. 
And that's that. Yeah, and that's that on that. Um, This week, though, for What Would Sister Peg Do, WWSPD, everyone, uh, our weekly segment where we give you guys a, you know, a website, a a charitable organization, something, a book, a doc, something you can do to sort of learn more about what we talked about in today's episode, I wanted to highlight because Lisa talked about in the real case how the way that this girl was found was that someone recognized this guy from America's Most Wanted. And I wanted to highlight the FBI's website of the 10 top 10 most wanted because I went on there and I was poking around and there's some wild people on there. Like I saw some guy who like speaks five languages and is like wanted for sexual assault and but all this other stuff. And he's like, hopping around to different states and countries. And it's, I mean, it sounds like a fucking movie. But anyway, uh, FBI's top 10 most wanted list. Obviously, it's it's well known, but it is a publicity program founded by the FBI in 1950. And it's designed to publicize the particularly dangerous fugitives who might not otherwise merit nationwide attention. And I think it's cool that people have been able to recognize these people out in the wild from seeing them on a list. So maybe give it a look-see. You never know who you're going to run into. And uh, there is a reward. I mean, they do offer a reward of up to $100,000 for information that leads directly to an arrest of any of these top 10 fugitives. So, you know, keep your eyes peeled. You might get some money out of it. So if you'd like to see who is currently on the list or potentially provide a tip, you can visit the link in our show notes. Or as usual, it is in our WWSPD highlight that is on Instagram. Yeah, I can't wait to find somebody and turn them the fuck in. Um, Next week, join us in watching Decline and Fall, season 18, episode nine. Check it out, Peacock, Hulu, your sticks all over. Go to the library um, or just listen to us chat about it. You know, yeah. live your true dreams. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. And we're very grateful to all of you. Come see us on tour. A lot of people are saying they're bringing friends who don't even watch the show and they're having a blast. So, oh it's wait, open say to the people. say the fun thing that someone left the show and asked the oh, person yeah. who brought them. Someone wait. said that as they were leaving, their aunt like tugged them on the arm and was like, "Who are Benson and Stabler?" Like as they're leaving the show. So if that woman could have a good time, not even knowing who Benson and Stabler are, you guys can have a good time. Or anyone that's your friend that doesn't. I know you guys are all listeners, um, but. <laughs> That's it for our long outro. Cool. It's so cool. So cool meeting you guys. Yeah. See you next week. Bye bye. That's messed up is an exactly right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at that's messed up pod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at That's Messed Up Pod and on Twitter at Messed Up Pod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Annalise Nelson. And to our mixer, John Bradley. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, follow, and leave us a review on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can listen to new episodes one week early on Amazon Music or early and ad-free by subscribing to Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Dun-dun! 
Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.